Hey everyone, welcome to This is Steph Sober, a weekly podcast for those in need of some sober support. I'm your host, Steph, and I have an informative episode for you today around the topic of hypnotherapy. I've invited my dear friend Louisa to join me because she is a cognitive behavioral hypnotherapist. But some of you in the Instagram community will know her by her handle, Stepping Into Sobriety. Louisa and I met through Instagram last fall. I watched one of her reels and I instantly felt like I knew her. I sent her a DM and a friendship developed quickly. And even though we live on opposite sides of the pond, Louisa and I still check in and chat daily. So when I decided to do a podcast about my experience with hypnotherapy, it was a no-brainer. Louisa had to be a part of it. I can only speak to my experience, and I love that Louisa can explain exactly what hypnotherapy is, how it works, and the stigma around it. If you have ever wondered if hypnotherapy could work for you, this episode will answer many of your questions. So, without further ado, this is hypnotherapy. So I want to start with my hypnotherapy story.
I remember him telling me, said, you're not going to feel better. You're going to want to be better. And it's true. It's true. Because ever since then, everything that I have done, if you look at my lifestyle since those sessions, have all been things to make me better, to be Mm. better, working out, giving up alcohol, you know, going to therapy on a regular basis, dealing with my emotions, like all these things help me be better, not just feel, I mean, the feeling comes with it, but I want to be better. I don't want to just feel better because as we know, feelings come and go. So and yeah, feeling better what... is like a sticking plaster, isn't it? You know, I just yeah. want to feel, I just want yeah. to feel better. It's fleeting because it'll go away. You're not always going to feel good. So, mm. and it really made sense later on because it wasn't too long after my four sessions with him that I started questioning my relationship with alcohol and I really never put two and two together, but, and this is where I'm going to let you start jumping in, but I seriously think subconsciously I knew the alcohol was causing my anxiety. Like there was some part of my brain that had to have known that, that it tapped into and it turned it on. Because after that, I just started really quite like, I remember 4th of July, that 4th of July, I was just drinking so much that whole, cause we turned it into like a four day binge family comes in town, friends come over. And I mean, drinking 12 hours, getting up, drinking again. So I wasn't sick. And I remember going into the bathroom that morning, downing a mimosa because I was on the verge of just feeling really, really sick. And then I looked in the mirror and I remember saying to myself, if you need the thing that made you sick to make you unsick, mm-hmm. Stephanie, that's addiction. I remember like saying that to myself in the mirror. And that was when it all just started. Like I didn't quit drinking, but it was like I was noticing things and questioning things. So, And it could have been that you just had that sort of, I think we have an inner voice in us all the time. It's that we we know deep down when things aren't good for us. I mean, I I would even say that I I became a therapist because I had a nagging voice within me that wanted help myself, and I looked for so many different solutions over the years. And I thought, right, well, I'll learn it myself, and then I can help my children, and I can help myself, and that'll be fine. And I got drawn towards. CBT and hypnotherapy and one of the first things you learned within hypnotherapy was to self-hypnotize and how in control you actually are when you're in hypnosis so you could do it to yourself which it was profound and I'm sure we'll touch on that on that later but but basically for you it I should imagine he probably suggested things to you that you were that you were enough that you were Mm -hmm. complete Yes. That you know the right thing for you. You know when you're safe and when you're not safe. It's mm-hmm. instinctive. Because what happens when somebody's got anxiety is they are heightened. So they're heightened with their thinking and they're heightened with their physical responses. So sometimes somebody with anxiety will tell me they've got, if I ask them where it is in their body, they'll say it's in their tummy. So they'll have like sickness or tummy turning over or they might have IBS um, or they might have palpitations or feel shallow of breath yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of physical things going along with anxiety 
as well as, and same with phobias, uh, but as well as the mental side of things. So yes, you will have had something that will have started a thought process, as you say, when you were three. I don't tend to go back because you don't actually have to know where things originate in order to solve them. Mm-hmm. You can just deal with the person in front of you and go, okay, let's teach you how to be in control of your mind and of your body. And by giving you certain suggestions, by having certain relaxation techniques, what you're doing in hypnosis is basically going into a a sort of a physiological and psychological state of deep, deep relaxation. So when you meditate, you're in in relaxation. So you are already heading down that road. So they're similar, right? Massively similar. The only difference is you tend to have deepener, what they call deepener, induction and deepener suggestions with hypnosis. So I may suggest to somebody, so you know, I might I might start off by counting them down from 10 to 1, or I might just say, I want you to take a really deep breath in. And then on the exhale, all of your muscles are feeling heavy and warm, heavy and warm. And I always say to people before they have hypnosis, go along with what I'm saying, okay? I'm not going to say anything to you that you're going to disagree with. If I did, you'd immediately go, uh, no, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. You know, I think there's a lot of fear about um, clucking like a chicken and barking like a dog. And people right. have seen stage hypnosis, which is yeah. a show, okay? And, you know, that's something I have to say to people. It's nothing like you've seen on TV you'll just feel deeply relaxed as if you're sort of in a deep, not in a deep sleep because you're perfectly aware as you'll know from your experience. Yeah. You know, you could hear sounds around the room Mm -hmm. and you'll have heard traffic outside. Mm -hmm. And if there was a fire, you'd have sat up and you might've felt a bit groggy, like Mm -hmm. you'd just woken up, but you would have immediately woken up and been back in the room. Yeah. I can honestly say there was never a point where I felt under like someone else was controlling me or anything like that. But it was this huge, it was the most relaxed I've ever felt. Probably that's how you feel when you sleep, but you're asleep. Like you're not mentally aware of how relaxed you really are. Like it, yeah, that's how I felt. It was, it's, I, I was hypnotized years and years and years and years ago which is probably, again, what stuck in my mind when I was looking at which route to go down with therapy. Mm-hmm. And I was hypnotized. I'm trying to remember what for. I think it was a fear of flying, actually, or something along those, li- those mm-hmm. lines. And I think I wanted some help speaking in public. And mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s, and I'd just been asked to do this role where I was standing up in front of about 40 or 50 businessmen. And I was only 23, I think. And everybody thought I was a lot more confident than I was. And inside I was terrified and and I was going to be running these business meetings. It was going to be insane. And I originally said no. And then they just didn't take no for an answer. So I thought, right, come on, do it. And I went to have hypnotherapy um, with the guy I'd seen before for fear of flying. And at this one point in the recording, because he gave me a recording as well, he said, right, your arms are going to feel so heavy now. And this is what we call a convincer. So what we do is, is we are working with you. So we get you to go along with any suggestions. If I, if I say your arms are feeling heavy and warm, I want you to imagine they're feeling heavy and warm. Okay. 
And he said in this recording, they're almost too heavy to lift. And I want you to try lifting your arms. And even as I'm saying that now, I can't yeah. lift my arms. Up Me too. Table. I'm like imagining I'm it. Like, I'm like, Because if somebody says to you, can't lift it, and you can do it with eyes shut, almost like you can't open your eyes. And you're mm -hmm. like, oh, gosh, because there's a part of you going, I want to, but I don't. And, and mm -hmm. you're doing that. Nobody's in control of you. And, and the way that it works is that our brains and bodies struggle with the difference between what's real and what's imagined, which is why we can imagine a panicked scenario and suddenly our heart's racing, which is very often panic attacks or anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the way that we think has great impact and the majority of the time we're thinking quite negatively because that's the way the brain's wired we are designed to look or the brain is designed to look for danger that's what keeps us alive but in today's society we don't have the same sort of dangers short of crossing the road in front of a car or something like that but you're not going to get eaten walking out the door or so you don't have to be as heightened as you would have been in caveman times but our biology is still the same and so we go into what's called a fight or flight state very, very quickly. And you'll have heard of fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So that's the sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system, to give it its correct term, the autonomic nervous system. And what we do in hypnotherapy is we take you really, really deeply into what's called the rest and digest. And that's when your body is resting and digesting food. So it is the opposite to the heightened state, which is why hypnotherapy is so effective with anxiety. You're teaching and educating your physical responses to respond differently. And at the same time, you're teaching the person they're more in control of their responses than they think they are. Because that's the issue, with, especially with anxiety. People don't think they can control it. They start to get a panicked feeling. The panicked feeling gets worse and it gets worse and it snowballs. And they think, oh, no, 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 I'm going to lose control now. And now I can't. Oh, and, and then it becomes a panic attack. So what we do is we, OK, you can notice when it starts. And the best thing to do, actually, not hypnotherapy wise, but is to use breath to calm you down in the moment if you're suffering from anxiety. And there are specific breaths that you can learn mm -hmm. to keep you calm, but alert. And some of them are used by the SAS. So they're used in, in so when you want to be like if, if you were doing a talk or something like that, you don't want to be like zoned out. Right. You want to be relaxed, but still still responding. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain breaths you can do, usually where the in-breath is reasonably short. You hold the breath for a period of time, maybe a count of six, three, six, and then breathe out gently through the mouth for nine. That stills that system and takes it from the fight or flight into the rest and digest so it's just getting your body going no there's nothing to worry about and of course you have the mind element in that as well so we've got the physical responses but then we have mm -hmm. the thoughts that go along with it and you'll I'm sure you'll say that there are many thoughts that start to race that could take you down a bit of a rabbit warren when you're in that state yeah I mean for me my this is I don't want to say weird because I don't think anything's weird it's just it didn't make sense to me, I guess is the best way to say it. My anxiety attacks would hit when I was trying to be in a relaxed state. So, or when I was, you know, so one example, which is wild, getting a massage, laying there and getting a massage. Wow. That fight or flight feeling would start 
down in my gut and just burn its way up, which I knew then the, uh, the panic attack was coming. And for me, a panic attack feels like I've got to use the bathroom. And, you know, here I am naked on a massage table. Someone's trying to massage me and I'm just breathing and trying to just fight through it, which I've heard is probably the worst thing to do. I had a therapist one time tell me, don't fight it, welcome it. Because when you're, what you're doing when you're fighting it is you're just adding fuel to it. Just accept it. Welcome the feeling and breathe. And it does work. But it's remembering to do that in the moment, right? Because in the moment, you're just instantly, especially when there's someone else in the room and you're just like, you just want it to go away. Also, another waiting in line at a store. So I don't, I I guess I don't want to say it was when I'm like at a relaxed day. I think it's when I'm almost, it's almost like when I, when I feel caged or feel like I can't easily escape. So waiting in line. Um. My, being waiting, naked on a table, being naked on a table, like if <laughs> something happens, I can't escape quickly. Yeah. I mean, talking it out with you now, it's like making sense. Waiting in line at the carpool for my daughter, which I would wait for 45 minutes to an hour. I'd get there early so I could get in the front of the line. Well, once you're there, you don't want to leave. You're stuck. You're stuck. Mm. And I would sit in my car and sweat. And I used to bring a drink with me because in my mind, that was the only thing that would calm me down. And so, so is that an alcoholic drink or just a yes. water or something? No, I would bring oh, wow. an alcoholic drink. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you were self-soothing. So what, what yeah. you've done is you've created, because we all, obviously the CBT side is is very much that cognitions, behaviors are linked. So with every situation, you will have thoughts going on that and you'll have feelings going on about that and you'll then act in a certain way. You'll have behaviors and they're all intertwined and interlinked and there there are sensations going on in your body at the same time so you always need to look at everything that's going on and very often it's always a thought that starts everything so for you it would be oh no I'm going to be trapped so it's about addressing how can we shift that thought that I'm trapped well I'm not trapped I just have to get to the back of the line if I needed the bathroom, I could just say, excuse me, I've got to go to the bathroom. But that feeling of you've almost told yourself you're trapped mm-hmm. when you're not. So it's kind of just watching out and just going, am I telling myself I'm restricted in some way? And in which case, just go, actually, I'm not, because I just have to wait another half an hour in reality. And that woman isn't going to mind, that masseuse isn't going to mind if I say, excuse me, sorry, I really need the loo. And I've done it before. In the middle of a massage, like, and she's a good friend. Like, it's just, yeah. <laughs> but that just goes back to my, which is a whole other topic, my people pleasing and trying to make sure everyone's comfortable around me and not disrupting their, you know, making things weird or awkward or whatever. That's just like a whole nother thing. But yeah, I mean, it makes, it makes sense. But I also think the alcohol ignited that and made it exaggerated because now I don't feel that I don't have that happen anymore. I might out of habit and it has, I mean, it's been 14 months since I quit drinking, but it took probably at least 90 days to start noticing the anxiety going away after I got rid of alcohol. And I know that can be different for everybody, but at first my anxiety went through the roof when I first quit drinking, which 
for me, since I connected the dots back to alcohol, I knew I had to push through those times because in the past I would have just drank to, to calm it down. But that was for me that solidified. Okay. It is alcohol is just making life way worse and making this like the imbalance that it gives your body is awful. So my anxiety got worse before it got better, but now I will sit in line. And now, I mean, I shouldn't say now, cause now it's just not even a thought, but I would, I remember early on in sobriety sitting in line and waiting for that to happen because it always did. And it yeah. just like, it never, it like, it got to the point where it was like few and far between. And then one day I'm sitting there and I'm like starting to feel maybe a little twinge of it. And then it just would go away. And I'm like, this is wild. Like just anticipating it. And it just would never full on turn into an anxiety attack until, like I said, now here I am 14 months sober and it's just not a thought. I don't deal with it at all anymore. And I can, I feel like I can do so much more. And I just feel like oh, that's amazing. Yeah. This huge freedom. And yeah, hyp- hypnosis could have that therapy that that hypnosis could have started that process. Mm-hmm. It's a very emotional thing. So when I'm working with people quitting yes. smoking, um, what I do is I, I take them down the path of life. And so in that deeply relaxed state, you're very emotional. Okay. And so I'm not talking to a subconscious brain or anything like that. Well, I'm, you're just deeply relaxed. And in that deeply relaxed state, you're just more open to anything I suggest. Yeah. As I say, if I told you something stupid to do, you'd say no. Right. But I can talk. You can talk in that state. You're just really in the zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what I do, as I say, with the stop smoking is I go down the path of life and the path of death. And you can do that with anything. You could do that with drinking, actually. Mm-hmm. Get somebody in a really relaxed state and say, right, now I want you to imagine you're walking down a path and in this path is is your life if you carry on with the choice that you're carrying on with, with drugs or smoking or alcohol. And this path, I want you to see you aging. I want you to see illness. I want you to see these different things. And it's a dark path and it's getting narrower. So if you imagine you're going down this path, the path of death, the path of the choice if you're still in this addictive behavior and maybe it's getting darker the trees are getting higher you can't see it's getting narrower maybe it's a bit muddy horrible and then you don't leave that person there you take them out and you get them to imagine then floating back to like a fork in the road or like a choice and then there's a path of life on the right hand side and it's bright and it's full of color and there's butterflies and rabbits and you know it's it's absolutely wonderful and it's wide and it's well lit and it's sunny and and that's the path of health of life and you see yourself aging and how fit you are and how healthy you are and how amazing you feel and all those great choices you're making to drink water to hydrate your body and the choices you're making to put good colorful foods into your body. So you make it very, you get to know the client and you make the language very attuned to what they connect to. Yeah. Feel your muscles getting strong, that kind of thing. And then you ask them to come back to the fork in the road and make a choice. Which path do you want to walk down? Mm -hmm. And they make that choice. And you say, are you ready to make that choice? Right. I want you to set off on that path. And because you've, I've not done anything magical at that point, but on a deeply emotional level, they have gone 
that's it. I can see now in a very visual way in my brain, I've imagined now what my life will look like one way and the other way. And because you're just so relaxed, our imaginations are immensely powerful and our imaginations connect to our muscles as well. So they've actually proved this. They had um, people wired up to electrodes on their muscles and then they got them to imagine rowing a boat. And these were rowers, so they knew what they were doing. There was a lot of muscle memory there. Mm -hmm. So that's all they had to do was sit there still and imagine rowing a boat. And the muscles were making micro movements that they measured. So that goes to show, I know we talk of the law of attraction a lot these days and positive thinking. And I have certain issue with some elements of that because you can't, as you've proved, just push away the negative. No, You can't do that. You can't only think positive in a Pollyanna kind of way. You have to deal with negative thoughts and learn how to deal with them. But it does show that, that what you are thinking is immensely powerful. And most of the time, people are negatively self-hypnotizing. So they're saying to themselves, wow. well, I can't do this. I'm rubbish at that. I'm too fat. I'm stupid. I, I'll never get that job I want. And they are, that's what they're, they're sort of living out their own self-talk. So if you think you're going to struggle with something, you will. Yeah. And that's exactly the self-talk I had going on in my head. And that would have started that hypnotherapy where you, you know, you know what you've got to do. Mm -hmm. And that might even be a phrase I use with a client sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know what you have to do. And I, I've dealt with people who've um, taken drugs, um, alcohol. This The irony was not wasted on me. The, the people were coming into the clinic. And I knew when I was training, I remember saying to the guy who was training me, uh, we were talking about smoking and how insidious cigarettes are and how people think they're relaxing them. But of course, nicotine's heightening the system in order to then relax it so it's like uh it's like wearing tight shoes just to take them off for comfort you know mm -hmm. you're causing the discomfort in the first place and I said how would you relate this to alcohol clearly asking for myself but not asking wanting for to a friend <laughs> asking for a friend um, and he just said um oh well I think everybody knows you know I think it's very obvious with alcohol that it's bad for you and I thought nope Nope, mm -mm. not for me. No. I'm sorry, I think you're missing a trick there as a lecturer. Um, and yeah, the, the, the amount of people that were coming into clinic, even if they came in with anger issues, so, so I deal with anger management. Mm -hmm. And then they'll go, well, I tell you, it's even worse when I've had a drink. So they'll want to deal with. Now, I would say to people, you've got to deal with the underlying anger as well as the habit of drinking. Right. Because the drinking is just taking the, the filter off. And you're then saying exactly what you want to say. So you need to work out why you're not communicating effectively. And we look at assertiveness and communication styles and not being, um, I don't want to say like, not not being too submissive. So that, that you know, like you say, people pleaser, making mm -hmm. sure that you're being pleased in amongst that. Because a lot of people with anger management are the people that are really submissive. And then they sort of burst into aggression. It builds up. Month. And people go, well, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it's um, it, it just depends what somebody wants to look at. But I find alcohol was most of the time. I mean, I did have clients come in and say they don't drink, 
Mm. Um, I had somebody say, I don't want to stop drinking. And I said, no, neither do I. And I actually would always, you know, I, I tend to sort of get build a rapport with clients. I'm not sat here piously judging anyone or whatever you want to do, I'll help you achieve. But that you get that feeling of, are you going to tell me to stop drinking? And I have to be really careful in my therapy work that I don't, I don't want to come across like that, even though I'm sober. Mm -hmm. So I don't let the two worlds collide very often because I don't want to be known as that sober therapist. Because I'll tell you what, if I knew there was a sober therapist, I wouldn't have gone to them going back a few years ago. I wouldn't have wanted somebody to sit there and tell me to give up drinking. And so still, I will ask what people drink. Mm-hmm. I will ask what they, you know, with coffee. I don't judge them if if they've got a cocaine habit. If they say to me, I've got a cocaine habit, but I'm happy with it. What I want to deal with is X, Y, Z. I'll go, okay. Yeah. We're not here. I'm not here to fix everything. I just need to deal with whatever it is they've come in with. They could have a phobia of flying and they want to go on holiday. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially where I was. But the irony... And how awkward I was starting to feel. Because one of my values, and I I always talk about values with clients, is the authenticity. And I have to feel I'm an incredibly honest person. And I have to feel that I can be honest. And I felt like I wasn't being honest with myself whilst I was helping somebody cut back on their drinking. Because it wasn't always about quitting. Sometimes it's cutting down or being more mindful because you can do, use hypnotherapy to be more mindful in drinking. Mm-hmm. But then going home and pouring myself a large glass of white wine to unwind. I find it interesting, though, that you, the the bit about being a sober therapist, because just from my experience, when I decided to get a therapist, now that I was sober, that was the one thing I wanted them to be was sober. I needed someone. Maybe that's interesting. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, when I reached out to my um, practitioner and I said, I need therapy, I trust you, you know me well, but I need you to find me someone that's sober. I do not want to sit and talk about sobriety with someone who hasn't lived it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the whole world, isn't it? It's a whole experience mm-hmm. that we live when getting sober and staying sober and the challenges you get and the sort of experiences you have. I know the other night I was I was sat there and, and I teach people techniques on how to calm down overthinking. And I realized that goodness, uh, I'm, I'm going through a particularly stressful time in my own life at the moment, um, which is no not sober related, but I would find my mind would start to race about 9.30 at night. And, and I was, I'd noticed it. Whereas when I was drinking, I I wouldn't have noticed Mm -hmm. it. I would have just had a couple of glasses of wine, zoned out, gone to bed, and that would be fine. But because I was noticing it, and I was noticing, because there was something called thinking errors, I won't get into it too deeply, but I was noticing I was doing one of the thinking errors. And I'm sat there going, wow, I'm, I'm catastrophizing. I really am catastrophizing. And my thoughts are going off and the worst case scenario was going to happen. Now, my therapist head on went, right, okay, you're going to have to talk your way through this. Okay, there's no point. You can't push it away. So is that catastrophic thought true? I'll argue with it. What would you say to a friend if they said that to you? You know, so I was doing all of this at half nine, 10 o'clock at night. And I turned to my husband and I said, 
I'm exhausted. I can see why I drank because that is different. People have different thinking errors that they would go down. And mine happens to be that one. So if I hit a lower point or a stressful point in my life, it's what I have to be aware of. You can't ever stop it completely, but what you can do is notice it. Mm-hmm. And the minute you notice that thinking that's tripping you up, rather than running away with it and letting it carry you, you stop it. You you have certain techniques. You ask yourself certain questions. You maybe journal the responses because when you're writing things down, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of you see it in black and white. You can't argue with black and white. So, yeah, it's it's so interesting that I've realized why. I would drink in the evening because I've got such an active, active mind Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I struggle to shut off. And the irony of me teaching people meditation (laughs) and hypnosis and all of those things, which I do do for myself, yeah. but you still have to practice it. You still have to come back and do it as well. Yeah. You know, how many GPs do you know that go down the pub and drink too much? Quite a few, I should imagine. Right. Yeah. Or smoke. I yeah, know a lot of nurse, nurses who smoke. I think every nurse that I know on a personal level is a smoker. I mean, that's nuts, isn't it? Isn't it crazy? Well, it's I funny. don't know how somebody could sit there, but then I, I say that I sit in clinic and see how overthinking or over worrying affects people. Yeah. And I would come home going, wow, my mind's blown. I might've worked with four or five people that evening or that afternoon. It's late. I want to go to bed. My first go-to was a couple of glasses of wine to shut down because actually after taking five people through hypnotherapy or meditation or mindfulness techniques, I was, you know, mm-hmm. bored of it. I wanted to come home and do something different, which is something I've had to tackle. I've had to look at and go, right, well, what's your wine down technique at the end of the day yeah. that doesn't involve wine? Yeah. It's that whole taking care of everybody else, but then, you know, do as I say, not as I do that whole concept. I, my, my brain does the same thing, but I, maybe it's, this is similar, but maybe I'll be describing it differently. I problem solve problems that aren't even problems yet. So like I will play out. Yeah. I'll play out a problem that could happen in the future if things were to just and then I try to figure out how I would solve it. And that's exhausting too, because I will tell you those never, it, I couldn't tell you last time a problem that I like projected in my mind ever really came true. And I ever really did have to solve it or having those people talk about in the shower, how they'll have an argument with someone <laughs> in the shower, yeah. you know, you like play it out. Like if they said this, then yeah. I'll say that. But we don't, what we need to understand is we think what we think we're doing, correct me if I'm wrong, is we think that we're preparing ourselves and we're just doing the right thing. But really, you're just exhausting yourself for no reason. I mean, it's yeah, just. Exactly. And that, that can fall into like a, um, like a what ifing ca- yeah. category, if you like. What if this happened? And what if that happened? And what if they say this? And what if they say that? And what if, what if, what if, what if? Mm-hmm. And you know, that was that particularly when I was pregnant and that when I was pregnant, um, it was before I qualified. And so I didn't know a lot of what I know, I know now. But a friend said to me, 
you're worrying you're worrying about things that have never happened as you do with pregnancy you worry about the baby oh, yeah. about, i've got a history of miscarriage i lost eight eight mm. um, babies in my 20s so oh my i didn't even have children and so yeah i was like major like, well, if i can just plan for everything and in the end i was driving myself insane this was my first pregnancy 11 years ago and i was driving myself insane and she said look if the worst happens, you are incredibly resourceful. You will deal with it. You know, what mm -hmm. if thing robs the joy of today based on Gosh. something that is very likely never, never going to happen. If the worst happens, you deal with it. And actually that did pan out because um, six, nearly seven years ago, my father died in his sleep very unexpectedly and that was the worst that I could ever have imagined. I did, I never imagined. He always seemed so healthy, so fit, mm -hmm. so strong, never sick, never. He just died in his sleep. His heart gave out, didn't even make a noise. And that pulled the rug under all of our worlds overnight. And I'd never prepared for it. I'd never yeah. worried about it. I'd never. And it just at that point, I went, well, that's futile, isn't it? Because the bad thing, the really bad thing that you've never even considered, you still cope and I'm still here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I can still see that it was terrible for all of us, but the best thing for him. So, you know, you, you get to the other side of it, mm -hmm. even though at the time you can't think you would. Mm -hmm. But what ifing is is a big, a big one. If you can plan for everything, then, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. It just robs today. Yeah. I heard, I heard someone say one time, cause it, to me, that that's called worry. Yeah. You know, and it was, you know, worrying is like praying for the worst to happen. When you think about like, you know, manifesting and things like that, yeah. worrying is literally just praying for the worst to happen because you're putting so much energy into these scenarios so if you can just maybe flip it into some positive things, because positive things happen all the time. We just, some, like you said, our brain just doesn't want to focus on that. Um, or or instead of doing that, spend the time praying for good things to happen. It could really switch that in your And brain. I think that's probably my only issue with kind of the law of attraction thinking, because mm -hmm. our brains are wired, as I've said already, to think negatively. Okay, mm -hmm. it, they're wired to look for danger. That's emotional or physical danger. So that's yeah. the way they are designed biologically, right? Now, if you're scared, and what tends to happen if somebody really, and I'm not saying the law of attraction isn't wonderful and, and all of that, but if you're scared that everything you think is going to manifest, mm -hmm. a lot of people go down that route of, I can only think positively. Oh my God, I'm having a negative thought. Oh, I've got to get rid of it. How do I get rid of it? And they start to drive themselves crazy over that and trying to push away those negative thoughts and trying to not worry. And don't forget, our brains are meant to worry. Yeah. We don't have to believe everything that pops into our head. That's the key. And that's the thing that I would say to somebody, your thoughts aren't facts. They're just suggestions your brain is offering to you based on what it's taking in around it. Mm -hmm. You can go, no, that's fine. Don't worry. I don't need to worry about that. Yeah. What happens when you try and push a thought away is it gets bigger because your brain's going, well, you haven't listened. You haven't listened. So I'm going to tell you later now. 
watch out for that black cat over there. It's going to attack you. And so you have to go, okay, a bit like you were actually, take yourself through the scenario. Mm -hmm. What would I do if the black cat attacked? Is the black cat actually going to attack? How many times in the past has it attacked me? You know, so start looking at it from a factual point of view, but don't be scared. Don't think you only have to keep the more positive thoughts you can have. Brilliant. But you don't only have to have positive thoughts in your head. It isn't possible. Mm -hmm. Negative thoughts are going to come in, mm -hmm. but you can acknowledge them and say, I don't need to believe that or that isn't true. I love that. I love challenging them. That's key. Like you said. Finding you can put it in the dock, you know, with a yeah. with like a court and go, right, as a lawyer and go, yeah. right, how true is this? Is this actually yeah. true? Okay. Where you can, and that's where people get caught up on where did this originate? Uh-huh. Sometimes. You yeah. don't need to know where it originated. Mm -hmm. But you do, you can just go, right, is it true? What's a better thing to believe? Mm -hmm. So I've dealt with people with health anxiety where they're convinced that they are going to die or they've got something wrong with them inside. And, you know, none of us know for sure. So I can't sit in front of somebody and say, look, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Right. Right. But what, what I can do is say, look, you have to start looking at the odds of things. You know, if they're a 30 something year old, the odds of certain things are lower. What are the odds of some other things they're comfortable with? You know, and start to put facts against it rather than the storytelling that our brain does so well. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I always say the brain's like an untrained puppy. Mm. It'll, it'll run off and, you know, you, you need it to sit and stay just every now and again. Let it run off and do the creative thing. And that's part of its job. Let it go and play every now and again but you need to then bring it back to a moment where it's still. And that's where things like journaling, meditation, hypnotherapy, they're all great ways of shifting your body from that fight or flight or that major sort of majorly active side of life, like revving the engine of a car to taking your foot off and just moving into rest and digest, allowing the body to recover, to recuperate, the cells to regenerate. I think for me, being sober has brought challenges with, mm -hmm. with therapy and how I approach it. Um, I think we're always evolving with those sorts of things. And for me, initially, I didn't want to be known as the therapist who was struggling and now I'm having an identity thing about do I want to be the therapist who's sober I don't I'm not ashamed of being sober at all but I don't want to start ramming sobriety down everybody's throats because it isn't for everybody it isn't for everybody and you don't need to do it if you don't want to do it mm -hmm. I mean I'm not going to stop extolling the virtues of it though is my challenge and so I've got the the two personas I yeah. kind of like but then in therapy you do you walk into the room and you switch your switch your opinions off you switch your personality off in a way and you go right what can I do for you yeah because you would do that for any type of thing that maybe you Absolutely. aren't 
an advocate for so sobriety really I mean I have to sit different. there and, and you know with smokers and I'm an ex-smoker yeah. mm-hmm. um and I've had I've had people say to me oh could you help me quit smoking of course I could you know but that's an active role that you'd play in it and I think that's probably the thing with the most important point to make with hypnotherapy is it isn't something magical yeah. that happens to you and it's about feeling in control, it's about feeling um, good no matter what's going on on the outside, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, as I've said, going through a particularly stressful time at the moment. But because I'm so sure in my own path, what I'm doing, I'm sure in my sobriety, I'm sure in all of it, it's not rocking me. It might upset me at times or I yeah. might get a bit stressed out or a bit worried. or, But it's not rocking my confidence in my ability to cope. Mm-hmm. no matter what happens so at the moment I have a few bad things happening mm-hmm. and I'm able to cope yeah so it's it's about having that confidence and I think removing alcohol gives you not only does it remove anxiety and things like that because that is it's not I hadn't even put two and two together I realized that I had a bubbling anxiety in me you know in all this work I was doing on myself to help other people and I still had anxious feelings every night again. And of course it was down to alcohol. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Remember, I am just a woman on a mission to normalize sobriety and living a sober lifestyle. I am not a licensed therapist or a doctor. Please, if alcohol is causing serious physical or mental health issues, seek professional help. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to hit follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, leaving a five-star review will help this podcast reach more people like you in the sober community. It's an easy way to spread the word in normalizing a sober lifestyle. You should never feel alone in sobriety, so feel free to reach out to me via email or through my Instagram account at thisisstephsober. Links to both are listed in the show notes.